0: Welcome to The Exam Room. I'm your host, Brian Vardabedian, a.k.a. Dr. V from 33 Charts. I was thrilled to have Dr. Jay Parkinson from Crossover Health in The Exam Room recently. We talk technology, innovation, healthcare, and the stuff that makes this guy tick. Watching digital innovation in healthcare over the past 15 years, I can attest to the fact that this is one of the sharpest dudes you will find. Jay has done and built what most people in healthcare can only talk about on Twitter. His lens on healthcare has helped me see the world differently, and I think you will feel the same. I hope you enjoy this great conversation. Jay Parkinson, welcome to The Exam Room. Thanks for having
1: me, happy to be here.
0: I think uh, we've known each other for a long time, but I'm pretty sure this may be the first time that we've sat down to actually have a conversation. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Probably in private, private for sure.
0: <laughs> right, right. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited. And as I alluded to in the introduction, um, I've listened to a lot of people versed in health and technology over the years, and you are one of the sharpest, clearest voices out there. Um, you have your own mind about things. Uh, it seemed on Twitter, everybody has an agenda these days, but for sure, you're not afraid to say it like you believe it even if it pisses off every VC on Sand Hill, right?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, if you depend on the VCs to innovate, uh, I'm doing it wrong. But I think there's definitely ways to innovate in healthcare without VC support, for sure. And that's probably not even the right business model for most innovation, anyway, especially in healthcare.
0: So to give you just sort of an illustration or to give the listeners an illustration of how influential Jay is, I have an Evernote tag, that's a Jay Parkinson tag. So uh, <laughs> over the next 20 minutes, I'm going somebody pulling some quotes back from 2011, just some interesting stuff you've said. And so we'll pull on that a little bit and um, see what we come up with. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're doing, how you landed at Crossover Health where you are now, what led up to that? Yeah, sure.
1: So, um, you know, honestly, it's really interesting because June 29th, 2007, the iPhone came out and my last day of residency was actually June 30th. And it really was insane because, you know, um, having a browser in your pocket, which was kind of the innovation prior to that, there really wasn't a browser, um, enabled me to, I created a a house call practice powered by my iPhone in Williamsburg and Greenpoint in Brooklyn. And that went viral. There were about 7 million hits on my site. Uh, I was the main guest on the Colbert Report. It was a perfectly packaged up story for, you know, the internet. It was like Marcus Welby meets, meets the iPhone and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, it was a feel good story. So kind of everywhere. And that really did just launch my career. So um, out of that came Hello Health, uh, which is, you know, the first sort of entry into, uh, you know, building a VC funded uh, startup, uh, where, you know, Hello Health was a, uh, is a, is a platform currently. It's one of the more popular EMRs actually in Australia right now. So that's interesting.
0: Is that, is that um, right? Yeah. So, so it that, lives uh, today. It, oh, it totally
1: lives today. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, uh, it's, it's powering some practices and, and interestingly enough, Hello Health, uh, EMR that, that I designed and we built, um, Back in 2008 was uh, the first DMR that crossover used uh, to power their pri- their first practice uh, back in like 2009, 2010.
0: So I remember when you launched that, I was at the there was an event in Boston at the Copley Plaza Hotel, I think. Do <laughs> yeah. you remember that? There was like a big shindig? Sure. And you came it, it was it was it was huge. I mean hello health was I mean at the time it was a big friggin deal.
1: Yeah, it was like the poster child. I mean, you know, it was kind of, you know, if anything, my curse is I was just way too early. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there weren't too many like cloud based EMRs at the time, uh, and we were trying to build this so that the um, the EMR plus the physical space were very much integrated. So you know, um, and the care just kind of if you got it online and you go, or if you got it in one of our centers, it was kind of the same care experience. So it was ahead of its time for sure.
0: So, yeah. So you suggested the fact that it was ahead of its time as an early EMR, maybe that was its downfall. What When you say it was ahead of its time, what, what was ahead of its time?
1: Well, I mean, you know, just the concept of, keep in mind there was no, there's no concept of an app back then, right? The app store I think launched in what, 2010 or something like that. Um, um so a couple, or 2009, is, so it was a couple of years after the uh, iPhone actually was launched. So yeah, it was um, it, it just, I think the, the, the success of an idea is not just how great the idea is and the execution is, but it's about aligning the idea up with like cultural behaviors that are kind of normal. Right. And it just, you know, those behaviors of going online to even get care or do things was just not normal yet.
0: So then you segued to Sherpa, right? In 2007? Uh, 2012, actually, Sherpa was uh, was founded. Mm -hmm. That's right. Tell us about Sherpa.
1: Yeah, so Sherpa is interesting. Um, We're basically a medical group. Um, We hire our own doctors, um, and we uh, contracted with companies to take care of their employees. It was interesting in that it wasn't traditional transactional telemedicine. Every time you, as a user, fired up Sherpa to engage with us, um, you worked with the same care team. So it was all about continuity and it was all about, um, you know, just doing as much as you possibly could because online, because we never had a physical presence where you could come see us. If you needed physical care, we would arrange the care with your, with local specialists or facilities and follow up with that specialist to get the consult report and attach that to your episode of care so that you have access to it. And so, you know, it's still going today. It's a it's a practice that anybody can join right now, and um, but very much being uh, supported uh, by Crossover Health, right? Now.
0: So, so this was an application that employers would offer to their employees. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we took care
1: of I don't know, roughly I think a hundred employers. Uh, people like you know, companies like Tumblr and Foursquare and Casper and Blue Apron and like those types of companies that were you know, super savvy, Um, but that's also part of the strategy, too. I mean, the iPhone didn't start with your grandparents, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, You start with those folks that really get the behavior and the concept. Um, So when you think about kind of a smartphone, uh, it starts off with the tech savvy and the wealthy, and now today we have $25 Androids, you know, so... Yep. That's kind of a big believer in the like trickle down
0: technology. And this was uh, I pulled this quote about Sherpa and EHR and documentation. You said the traditional doctors spend half their day documenting interactions with patients in the EMR. When care is delivered primarily via messaging, the conversation is the documentation. That, in and of itself, makes Sherpa doctors literally 100% more efficient than a traditional doctor. I, yeah. Uh, I guess is that that's true, right? The your your engagement was the documentation.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's just um, uh, the only thing, the only part where that wasn't true was that you know maybe five percent of the time we're jumping on a phone call uh, to have a real time conversation, and then you had to document that phone call. But other than that, yeah, I mean, just your engagement with the the patient is uh, the documentation.
0: So where was the value for, you were acquired by Crossover, what does Crossover do fundamentally and how do you, as an organization, Sherpa, how does it fit in with that?
1: Yeah. So interestingly enough, I've known Scott Shreve, who's the CEO of Crossover for, you know, uh, probably as long as I've known you, Brian. So it's like, you know, we've been running in the same circles. There aren't too many folks really trying to innovate on primary care. And, but Scott and I have always been, you know, some of them. So uh, Scott hit me up back in what November, 2018 and just said, Hey, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, I was speaking at a conference in San Diego and Crossover is just based about 50 miles north of San Diego. So took a trip up here and saw what they've been doing and was just ridiculously impressed, you know. So what they do, uh, what we do is uh, we've always built physical centers on corporate campuses for companies like Comcast and Facebook and Microsoft and and uh, Apple and Visa, so it's these big Fortune 500 companies, and we have physical presences on their main campuses. But when you think about that,
0: these, these clinics, yeah, they're
1: clinics. They're 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 really beautiful. Though. That's the thing. It's they're not. They don't look like your average clinic. It doesn't feel like it. it. Feels more like a spa. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's the same cost as traditional primary care for employers. So in a sense, you kind of get rid of the fee for service primary care, encourage everybody to go to the spa-like experience on campus. And it's, it's about the same cost um, as traditional primary care.
0: So Sherpa's providing some of the, uh, I guess, as a communication platform, is that right?
1: Well, how about this? Um, crossover since 2012 has always been the physical center. Think of that as Blockbuster, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, but Sherpa has always been about, you know, instead of having a physical center, it's, it's, it's you know, an app. So that's more like Netflix. So whenever you sort of marry the two, now, whenever you turn on a practice for a company like Facebook, you're really turning it on a state-based, on a, on a statewide basis rather than a sort of neighborhood basis. So, what we got had the opportunity to do is really everything we learned in Sherpa, I had the opportunity to say, okay, well, let's kind of start over, build our own platform, do it right this time, uh, based on everything you learned in the last eight years. And uh, that's where we are now. So, we just launched our platform internally in, uh, let's see, in February, and we're launching first uh, Comcast in about a week and a half. So, it's uh, super exciting.
0: So does Crossover have, uh, maybe this is something you can't discuss, will will Crossover move beyond these big uh, corporate campuses into more mainstream areas, or is that really not their model?
1: No, the model that we have is really, it's
0: still very much uh, corporate campuses. But whenever you think about this,
1: we learned in Sherpa that 70% of things never needed to be seen in person. Mm -hmm. So what's fascinating about that is now all of a sudden those centers that we build don't have to be so big and bold. They can be more, I, I, I describe them as like confirmatory centers right. rather than exploratory centers. right. Because if you show up and we don't know anything about you, we have to explore the situation and figure it out. Wow. But if we know what's going on, because the primary relationship is with the online team mm-hmm. and you show up in one of our centers, the center is already prepared as to like what's going on. And that's just going to confirm what we suspect based on our conversations online.
0: Let's segue a little bit into the madness around telemedicine that we've been witnessing over the past couple of months. I mean, there's a lot to say here, but what do you think, what's happening here? When you look at this overnight transition by large health centers, is corona just really kind of laid bare the deficiencies in our system and forced us to change the context of care or what's happened? Help us, help me understand this.
1: I think people are just
0: terrified to kind
1: of enter the healthcare system right now. I mean, I,
0: you I mean, I physically. Would,
1: yeah. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to, the last place I want to be is some, you know, place that might be teeming with coronavirus.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think
1: people are just like, you know, terrified and doctors saw that they you know, 70% decrease in patient volume. And they're like, Oh my goodness, we have to make money somehow. And there's nothing, you know, more powerful than, you know, losing revenue to change behavior. Right. You know, then doctors are like, well, okay, we need to go instead of, you know, physical first, uh, kind of digital first. And we did that in Crossover, for example, over the course of a week where it was 5% virtual visits and now we're at like 95% virtual visits, right? So every sort of practice across America had to do that or risk massive revenue decreases. So... The challenge, I think, though, is, you know, that's, every doctor should be offering that type of service, but then, like, they don't, so they're kind of trying to hack that stuff together real quickly. Right. But then there are services like, a you know, like a Teledoc or a Doctor on Demand who are just like, oh, they already have that infrastructure built, but, you know, they can't get slammed with volume because if they get slammed with volume, there's a 12-hour wait, mm-hmm. and, you know, the widget's a 10-minute transaction, you with know, real-time transactions. So there's going to be a lot of bottlenecks there.
0: Yeah. Tell me what you think about the physical exam. I've been thinking a lot about this. It's been such an interesting thing to watch locally. Uh, when I was doing some of my early telehealth encounters, I asked a colleague, I said, where do you document the physical? And he said, you don't. And I guess when you're over a, through a screen, right, we're really we're sort of surrendering the, uh, the physical touch we have with patients, and it certainly needs to happen a certain percentage of the time. But, I mean, do you think the physical examination is dead? Do you think we're going to be doing a lot of this with peripherals while connecting virtually or what?
1: Well, what's interesting about this is, you know, the number one principle that I've instructed every single Sherpa doctor from the very beginning uh, is just use the right communication channel for every situation. Yeah. Right. Sometimes that's in person.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: Sometimes it's online. Um, so just, you know, use your judgment to be like, what's appropriate here? Don't try to overstep your, you know, what, what you're capable of. Um, but the physical exam is really interesting. So if you look at, for example, the 1500 diagnoses that primary care is sort of the bread and butter primary care, right? Mm-hmm. That's even including the long tail of diagnoses that PCPs do. Uh, and manage um just do the analysis and you'll see that a tiny fraction of them are dependent on a physical exam to diagnose the rest are you know it's let's let's let me ask you some questions let me let me order some labs you know let me give you a drug and, and if it works great that's what the diagnosis was if it wasn't uh, let's start over you know but it's really interesting there's only a tiny fraction of those 1500 where you actually needed a, a, a physical exam to To diagnose. But then you're like, okay, well, once I've diagnosed it, what's management look
0: like? Right.
1: So then you're so it's like, okay, physical exam, what's the tiny percent that's needed to diagnose? But then once you have the diagnosis, then what's the role of the physical exam?
0: Right. You know, and then it becomes even smaller. Diminishing deal. Yeah. So it's
1: just really it's interesting. I mean, you know, it's a perfect example of like whenever you talk to doctors and they have access to a physical exam they're like i need it whenever they don't have access to a physical exam they're like well you know what i can do my job still
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i think you know and certainly in medical education we've sort of fetishized the exam over so many years that it's uh this nostalgia is almost kept us from moving forward to different types of engagement with patients and different ways of connecting and providing care. I mean, we always believed that the context of care was always in a square room on a piece of butcher paper, right? Right. <laughs> and I think this, you know, I think this crisis has sort of forced it. Yeah, you're right. Everybody's trying to like hack this together, but I think there's some good from it too. We're just, we're just accepting that things are happening and can happen remotely. And, I've always said I could take 300 Crohn's disease kids and manage them with my iPhone.
1: Sure,
0: Right. Some of them asynchronous texting, some of them video. And there's a percentage that have to come in periodically. They're anemic or bleeding or flaring, but for sure, most of them I can, I can use uh, what's in my pocket.
1: Well, and that's, I think what you're saying
0: is healthcare is at its core just communication. Absolutely. I'm a communicator that became a doctor.
1: Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and that's what's so, I mean, that's what's so awesome about our culture now. It's like, now there are just so many amazing ways to communicate. Right. So why not take
0: advantage in? Embarrassment of riches. I, I've always suggested, I, I'm really, I'm just a really good translator. And you look at the complicated things that are happening. And I think this is going to be a more critical going forward as we become more, you know, precise and reductive and things get more technical and we get genomic information. You're going to come to your provider and someone's going to have to be a docent and translate and help you know intermediate all this information coming in and I think our that's how our role is going to evolve just like as a as a translator or a docent right
1: yeah and you know what you need tech to do that like the so the platform that um, we've built and are building here at at Crossover is it's like if Slack met an electronic medical record met a
0: project management tool I love that
1: healthcare has never thought of that pneumonia as a project to be managed by a team right yet In our jobs, we do projects all the time and we have amazing tools to structure projects, assign tasks, figure it out, communicate about those tasks. And so, like, what if we just thought of, what if we thought of that pneumonia as a project to be managed and we built the technology to manage that project as a team?
0: That's amazing. After, uh, you got to do a walkthrough with this for me at some point, Uh, uh, at some point in the future, I want to see this.
1: It's, it's it's really, really, really impressive. I am so proud of what we've done and uh, it's going to get better and better. I mean, when you think about this, you know how Slack has sort of like this, um, you know, it has integrations with other apps, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: That's exactly how we we're designed in this as well. The, the Slack channel equivalent within the Crossover platform is called the episode of care, so the episode of care, that's where the communication happens. That's where all these integrations happen. That's where the team is communicating with each other and with the member. And that's where the team's assigning tasks to both the member and the care team and other members of the care team. Wow. So it's it's really cool.
0: This sounds really cool. I got to see this. Uh, so this is the, the, of course, the question everyone's asking, um, the awkward question. What's going to happen with Epic? You look at these enterprise systems that are just these monstrous things with horrible interfaces and that, that don't innovate in the way that you're talking about and what's going to happen. I mean, how, how does someone like crossover get into a large uh, hospital system in San Antonio or Austin? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I,
1: I guess, you know, it's interesting and right or wrong, the way I've approached this is I look for the little piece of healthcare in America that can just freaking nail it Mm -hmm. and do some really interesting things and i I created that on my own with sherpa and then joined an amazing team with crossover i mean what's amazing about this is over a million people now have access to this care model via crossover right Mm -hmm. so that's one out of 330 people in many ways it's just like you just keep hammering away and all of a sudden, like that old school 1988 based company right. uh, is starting to look kind of funny.
0: So, a bot is an old fashioned bottom up approach. I mean, I think that's just the only way to go. I mean, you know,
1: trying to defeat healthcare is a losing battle. You just got to find that corner in the world that's like doing it right and just go all in. In 2018,
0: you said no matter who you are, if you threaten the out of control business model of healthcare, the incumbents will do everything they can to remove the threat. And this is why healthcare isn't a tech problem with a tech solution. It's a political problem with no solution. <laughs> Man, Do you remember saying that? It's dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for <laughs> sure. Deep, it's a little deep. But, uh, um, I guess so more technology isn't necessarily the solution then, right? Um, no.
1: I mean, I, I, I don't think healthcare is a technology problem at all. I think it's a... Uh, but at the same time technology is the solution it's just more the innovation of both sherpa and crossover is the business model that enables rational technology to like do its magic so
0: it's right tool matching the right tool to the right problem at hand right yeah
1: I mean the technology just follows the business model of the problem the technology is trying to solve yeah you know so if you start off with the right business model you're gonna get the right technology
0: Well, just touch a little bit upon data and apps and things this is back from a while ago nick Bilton at the new york times said that your next phone will have more sensors heart monitors and perspiration detectors for for mood and then you uh you responded and 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 said this thing that's really always stuck with me you said this and then after about a week or two of viewing yet another stream of data coming at you the novelty will wear off and you'll go back to your normal routine data doesn't change behavior and if it did, Apple would be advertising the iPhone, iPhone to us with stats about how the iPhone increases our productivity by 22% and our love by 34%. I mean, I, you've, you've echoed this over and over again, right? Data really isn't the solution to things, or do you think – are you changing your mind on that? Or,
1: um, No, not – whenever it comes to, like, improving health – you know, your health behaviors. I mean, to me, I define health as really a series of everyday sort of decisions that you make. Mm-hmm you know, data informs some of those decisions. Some people are more data driven than others, but the majority of people don't, you know, act on data, they act on feeling and and also just status quo habit. You know, what are the things that get you to change your habits? Uh, it's kind of all over the place. A lot of it's just, you know, your kid looking at you and saying, you know, I really want you to be alive for my high school graduation. Right. That's powerful. That's powerful. Right. So but humans are, the power of the status quo in humans is is ridiculous. So I, I just don't think, you know, I mean, it's going to work for some people. My brother lost 120 pounds via Lose It, the app, but he's a super data-driven person. So it's going to work for some people, but, like, not going to be a panacea for sure.
0: I lost 60 pounds on Lose It. Did you really? Lose It's yeah, amazing.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
0: You it, it kind of is interesting. I don't use it anymore because it sort of trained me to sort of understand some of the balance in my life, but. Totally. Uh, I'll I'll follow you followed and said that inspiration changes behavior the brands and concepts that inspire us to pursue health and the good life gives a vision of what we should be doing and what we want to be and so I think that kind of echoes what you said yeah and it's really interesting too because I like
1: to separate medical
0: from health right medical
1: is, is pills and scalpels and doctors and health is Whole Foods and Adidas and Nike and, and you know Mm. Uh, lose it right yeah it's it's and and health can be inspiring medical is not inspiring right and i wish medical learned how to be inspiring like health
0: that's why health sells and medical does not sell
1: exactly
0: so when you look at covid19 this has been huge you look at they reported yesterday that i guess half of the first quarter drop in gdp was loss of healthcare revenue from stuff that we do to people. Do you think we're going to face some kind of reckoning that healthcare is going to have this big correction? Can you predict what's going to happen, or is that too much to ask?
1: Uh, no, I mean, the way we've been talking about it at Crossover is um, primary care, is, is it's honestly, it's about 5% of a population spend
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And which is nuts. And then if you do the math, and we found this out by some lawsuits uh, in North Carolina, when a couple of physician groups wanted to leave um, the local healthcare system, the healthcare system you know, in the lawsuit said that each PCP is responsible for $14 million in revenue into the healthcare system. Wow. Which, you, you think about that, and you're like, well, that makes sense. A doctor is just a purchaser of healthcare. Right. right? Every order is a purchase. So then you're like, okay, this is interesting. But if the, the, the cost of primary care for a population is only about 5%, and it's super predictable, why don't we unbundle primary care and pay for it differently? Mm-hmm. Why don't we pay a flat rate for primary care instead of a fee-for-service for primary care? And so I hope that that's what happens in the rest of the world, in that primary care and the commodities and the predictable usage of, of healthcare care becomes more of less fee-for-service and more flat rate. Flat rate care allows you to do more rational things like deliver more care online.
0: So with this unbundling, we could see a rebirth of primary care possibly, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the challenge is, you know, most doctors just we're just not organized as a, as a team or a group i think you know how can primary care doctors come together and sort of contract with the health insurers basically to say we'll take this uh, population of people on for a fixed rate um rather than you know if because again if it's like if it's five percent of the total spend i mean we're not the guys that you need to be squeezing <laughs>
0: yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? Hey, you've used the word doctor a lot. Of course, primary care, uh, you know, we're seeing the rise of providers who are non-physicians, advanced practitioners. You think with with bedside diagnostics and medicine becoming more precise that a lot of what doctors used to do can simply be taken over by advanced practitioners, or I don't want to put you in the middle of it, but I mean, it's a a real thing.
1: Well, if you think about it in terms of project management, there's a project lead, and then underneath the, the project lead, there's there's all kinds of folks that uh, are assigned tasks based on their capabilities. Right. And so, I mean, I just think doctors should be more strategic uh, thinkers and sort of project leads, but that really does depend on the transition from, you know, whatever is happening now to looking at a condition as a project to be managed over time by a team.
0: Very good. So there's a quote from 2013 that uh, I just want to read that, You had said, um, I I told you I had this tag in Evernote for you, so I've got all this stuff that I found. (laughs) And you said, the problem, often not discovered until late in life, is that when you look for things in life like love, meaning, motivation, it implies that they're sitting behind a tree or under a rock. The most successful people in life recognize that in life, they create their own love, they manufacture their own meaning, they generate their own motivation. And for me, I'm driven by two main philosophies, no more today about the world than a new yesterday, and lessen the suffering of others. You'd be surprised how far that gets you. Wow, does that is that still true today? That was 2013. Do you live by that or? Is is that that right? Right?
1: <laughs> That's uh, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> you don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I well, you know, it's interesting. I, I yeah, I, I guess the way I would interpret that today is um, what I'm doing. Nobody hired me explicitly to uh, do what I do right now. Uh, I created my own job, right? And I created this this change that hopefully is happening. I created the ability to make change. I think uh, in healthcare, um, right? But yeah, I, I just I don't know if. Uh, you got to do things that where you define
0: your own sort of job. That's
1: what changes things. So. Right. But that was, that was
0: good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got more here, but we're, we're running close on time. Um, so how can people find you, Jay? Where, where, where are you? Where do you like to hang out online? Are you, you have a property? Are you write Or what you?
1: Yeah. I mean, just uh, I have my own blog, jayparkinsonindy.com. And, uh also uh, Twitter is it,
0: is it for me? So, um. Well, Jay, thanks an awful lot for your time. This has been just a great conversation, and we could go on all day with your quotes. I think, but uh, we'd be here for another three hours. So, <laughs> thanks, uh, Dr. Jay Parkinson, one of Silicon Valley's most innovative thinkers in healthcare, in my opinion. Your, uh, your lens on the world has given me the courage to see the world very differently, and I hope to have you back. Thank you. I appreciate that, and I hope to be back. Thanks Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out more stuff like this on 33charts.com and follow and like us on 33 Charts on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for joining us in the exam room. If you like what you heard here, please rate the program, review us, or let folks know about us. And if you have any really cool ideas that you'd like discussed here, please feel free to let us know. This has been a Touchpoint Media production learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.